with us on a journey into the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. We will test your senses and challenge your beliefs. A world where science and religion clash. Or do they? You will meet real people and hear real stories, but you will not believe. You will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds, but you will not believe. This is the New England Ghost Project. Welcome to the Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Ghost Chronicles, the International Edition. I am Ron Kolick, your host, and with me all the way across the pond, I think. He's somewhere. I have no clue where he is. Last I heard, he was in a haunted McDonald's, so I don't know. He is the gold standard in ghost hunting, so nobody questions him, Mr. Steve Parsons. Good afternoon, evening. How are you? Good afternoon, evening. Well, I've lost track of time. I've I've been underground and uh, exploring haunted locations all all afternoon. Really? But and I was hoping to do the live broadcast, and I tested the signal earlier. Um, but about an hour ago, the four G signal just failed. So, um, I so now, you're tr- at, now you're in a haunted McDonald's. I'm only 100, 100 yards from the location, but I had to retreat to find a, a network Wi-Fi spot. So, so wait a minute. They got a McDonald's next to a haunted location? Oh, there's lots of McDonald's next to haunted locations. There are so many haunted locations that there's always a McDonald's nearby. Just think oh. of the Wyndham, for example. So true. So true. Across they, the street. I mean... Right across the street, and it's much of the same here in the UK. So, yeah, I'm on the I'm once again on the island of Anglesey in North Wales, off the North Welsh coast, and um, we arrived. The island of what? Anglesey. What is Anglesey? No, Angle A N G L E S E Y Anglesey. S E Y Anglesey Anglesey Angle Anglesey. Yeah. What does that mean in in Welsh? Means nothing at all. Good. 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 Um, Anglesey is a very notable island in, in history because it was the uh, royal palace and the um, hub of the Druids, this this race of warrior priests who existed yeah, who, in the... Who did not build Stonehenge. Who did not build Stonehenge. You're absolutely right. But they did exist. They were real. And uh, they... They came to the zenith around about 2,000 years ago. Um, and they, Anglesey was the holy island. It was the stronghold. And uh, in the first century, uh, the Romans had had an absolute stomachful of the Druids because the Druids were the priestly class of the uh, British the native Brits, British people who were fighting against the Roman invaders, Julius Caesar and friends. And um, they, the priests, of course, who were the behind the insurrection, were all holed up on the holy island of Anglesey. So the Romans marched a gigantic army of in excess of 40,000 troops from Colchester down near London, right across uh, Britain, right across uh, Wales until they got to uh, the Welsh coast. Now, the Welsh coast and the island of Anglesey are separated by a mile-wide strait of seawater, which is tidal. So the Romans waited till low tide, 
and in the face of 10,000 warriors painted blue, as in the movie Braveheart, were the inspiration oh, for the... They, they Actually, the druids were painted blue uh, with woad, which was, a natural, which was a natural um, plant dye. Right. Which they used uh, to dye, you know, to paint their faces and dye their clothes. Mm. Uh, the Romans swam and waded across the Straits of um, Anglesey, the Menai Straits, and invaded and beat the native British, the Druids. The Blue Smurfs. The Blue Smurfs. Um, they were a very fearsome race. Tacitus, who recorded the. Um, action, described them as the most uh, feared adversary the Romans had ever faced. Really? Uh, anyway, Paulinus, the, the Roman general, did, after a series of battles across the island, manage to, uh, his well-trained legions did, in fact, beat the Druids, um, and that resulted in, the, in almost the collapse of the British revolts, except for one last action. Uh, whilst the Romans were uh, out of Colchester dealing with the Druids, Queen Boudicca took her opportunity to avenge herself and she attacked the rear of the Roman army and sacked several of the cities, burning, burning these Roman cities, London, Colchester, which was the Roman capital at the time, and others to the ground, killing and slaughtering the Roman population and any of the British population who had adopted Roman ways. And the two of them came head to head uh, in a giant battle when the Romans came off Anglesey. They yeah. met. Yes, right. They they met uh, they, a British. They must, been, they must have been pissed at that time. They were properly pissed. They met a British a, a, a British army. Uh, numbering around about 100,000, and a huge, huge battle ensued. The, the site of the battle is still debated by historians, uh, and it raged and raged and raged until eventually the Romans, with their greater discipline and military tactics, defeated the outnumbering British army, which effectively was the end of the revolt. Now, what's interesting, we talk about ghosts being um, relatively modern. We talk about monks and right. cavaliers and white ladies and Victorians. And, and there are very, very few places where there are ghosts of... I mean, our friend Richard Felix often says, have you ever heard a ghost of a Stone Age man? No. Now, there are, there are several Roman soldiers, including most notably in York where the Roman legion walked through the cellar of the treasurer's house. Uh, but here on the island of Anglesey, uniquely, there are said to be the ghosts of the Druids, the ancient warrior priests of the British people, still haunting some of their sites. One of the most notable during uh, World War II, when the British and the Americans were building uh, a Royal Air Force base on Anglesey, which still is in use today, um, oh, it's still a a very active Royal Air Force base. Is it a big island, Steve? Oh, yeah. It's about 40 wide and about 25 long. Oh, yeah. It's a good size, yeah. So it's a fair, it's a fair old size. Um, separated from the mainland of Britain by the mile-wide Menai Straits, which are tidal. Mm -hmm. um, but when they, were when they were 
um, building the airfield, of course, they needed to drain a number of lakes and bogs um, on the island. And that resulted in the find of a huge horde of uh, swords, spears, shields, which the the druids had cast into the water as offerings for their gods. How how archaeologists were certain that they were uh, votive offerings is that all of the weapons had been deliberately smashed in half so that they were not usable in this world but usable in the next world that was that, um, yeah. that was one of the 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 hallmarks uh, of an offering is it, it was broken in this world so it was killed effectively ritually killed so that it would go to the afterlife and they found this huge several tons of weapons and gold gold amulets and and jewelry and uh, right up to the present day there are um guards on the royal air force base gates um obviously for security reasons who have reported uh, at night seeing a shambling uh, tall figure who they say is dressed um, in plaid and painted um is with a blue painted face and speaking a language that nobody can understand. Uh, so that's one of the one well, of the stories. The thing, Steve, because you, you really have you've got a ghost in color, which is you know in itself pretty interesting, and uh, also it speaks in, in a foreign language, which is also yeah. intriguing. Which would have been ancient ancient Br- British, which is a forerunner of the Welsh language, or. Irish Gaelic or the Scots native language, all of those are sort of derived from that old Druidic language. Um, but that's that's where I am. But that's not the ghost. But, I, 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 I want to I want to hang on a second on that. But I want to go talk a little bit about uh, that that figure and in, in, in the language. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Because so, uh, um, you know, I mean, so many EVPs that you see on Facebook and some places there, they're always in English. They're always you know, somewhat distinguishable, but in, in an English language. And and when you go all the way back to the the original researches of of EVP, and, and they used to get multiple languages coming that's through. That's right. And, and that seems to have disappeared, really. Don't you think? Well, it, I mean, the, the very first, Raudiva, Jurgensen, and all of the early researchers said that one of the characteristics of electronic voice phenomena was the rapidity and was the, the use of what they call polyglot language. So there would be perhaps four or five different languages used within the phrase or sentence. So one word might be in German, then the next two words might be English, then a word or two French or Latvian, mm-hmm. uh, whatever. Um, and that's, that was a characteristic of that was discovered by many of the researchers that, of course, as you rightly say, is completely absent in modern research with right. using and the they, radios and the recorders. Yeah, and they didn't have audacity back then or anything either. No. No, they didn't. There was no audacity. There was no software. Um, I mean, they were capable of... of doing audio engineering uh because i mean we're talking in the 60s you know right um, they brought it they had acoustic engineers and they they were able to do quite clever things with acoustics and music for example mm-hmm. um 
but they they lacked the you know the, the fact that we can sit at our home computer and do that or even with our tablet or smartphone we can do very clever things with sound files mm-hmm. um but we but we don't have any polyglot um being reported by evp researchers yeah, it's, it's just it's completely absent it's, it's just well it does beg the question what is it that they're actually recording then if they're not recording what well, i mean are they actually recording electronic voices or just voices radio or distorted you know uh, transmissions from taxi cabs or or even or, voice projection possibly voice projection is i mean absolutely in one case for example i i do i am aware of one of the things that we used to do whenever we we um, made a recording an audio recording um, was we always had each of the each of the members of the team speak a sentence it wasn't a long sentence but a sentence nonetheless mm. and that allowed us that gave us with a computer the ability to uh, make almost a sound footprint, a voice print, so that if we had any extraneous recordings that we didn't know about, and we knew how many people, of course, were in the building with us, right. we could compare it to the voice footprint that we had, the sound print that we had. And in one instance, we did have a very interesting response, or so it would appear, until we did the comparison, and it was unmistakably a member of the team. Mm-hmm. And the member of the team has no, had no recollection of speaking. Um, but when we then looked at the person on video, we were fortunate we had video cameras uh, running in the right place to, to see them fa- uh, their face. And their mouth did, in fact, move. Oh, it did move. Okay. They weren't doing it deliberately, but sometimes people find themselves singing along to song lyrics without realising it or voicing thoughts out aloud. You know, these sort of almost unconscious utterances that we we do without even registering that we're doing it. I mean, how many times have you heard people singing along on a train or a, a subway right. um, without realising they're doing it? And this person had answered, you know, sort of um, the question had been put and this person responded right. completely, you know, uh, without being aware of it. Subconsciously, right? Subconsciously, yeah. Uh, we call it an unconscious utterance. Yeah, that works. The uh, so, you know, I, it's intriguing, and and one thing that that I remember there was a little bit of talk about, but you don't hear anymore, is of course. What the? <laughs> Sorry. Oh yeah, that's just um. Yeah, it's, it's paranormal. <laughs> I think it's, I think I think it's an Irish football team. <laughs> Just coming into McDonald's. <laughs> it's live radio, folks. You, you can't go. make this shit up. <laughs> you know, one of the things that uh, was talked about before, and uh, we don't hear about anymore as well, uh, because it doesn't really fit into what people think nowadays. Is in fact, EVPs was originally called electronic voice projection, and there are some theories that we actually can produce. Uh, voice ourselves and a recorder subconsciously but mentally. Rising, and to say I've witnessed the first. Well, you break it up. It absolutely does exist. Sorry, I said having witnessed it firsthand, it absolutely does exist. Oh, it does. So, um, 
yeah, it's entirely possible and plausible. Mm. Now, I had to move around the building away from the, uh, the football team, <laughs> who, team who took up camp next to my uh, little spot. Did you take your Big Mac with so you? I'm now next to the... I haven't had a Big Mac. I've got a, I've got a coffee, a cup of coffee. Oh, there you go. stood next to my skip. <laughs> yeah. And the drive-through. Well, well <laughs> I, was at, uh, I was at Dunkin' Donuts on the way to the radio station on Monday, and I went in for a cup of coffee, and they offered donut fries. Sorry, did you say donut fries? Donut fries. Oh, God. I'm, hang on. Is that any different, really, from fried dough? I have no clue. I was like, what? And it was like in the morning, so uh, no, I didn't try them. But yeah, there's something new. I've got to find out no, more about I would... donut fries. Do you know it sounds like fried dough? I know, but it isn't. It's, they're actually tall, skinny, like French fries. I wow. believe. I believe. I, I'll find out more when we report back. <laughs> okay. I, I look forward to that. But right. I, I, having talked about the um, the, ancient, the ghost of the ancient Britain, I know kind of get in the way. But I have to one more thing. You talked about uh, when you were talking about uh, sentences that you you always did a sentence and it, it just came to mind. And yeah, yeah, something something that I always remembered was Britannia Essenunsula. And when I it's from my days of learning Latin, and it means Britain is an island. And I've always remembered that sentence for some <laughs> ridiculous reason. <laughs> Well, that's what the Romans were. They would have said Mon Inus Insula, because Mon is the old Latin, Welsh Latin name for Anglesey, M-O-N. Ah, um, the Isle of Mon, or Inis Mon, Unis Mon in Welsh. Ah, pretty cool. All right, so getting back to a thing we did straight yeah, a little so, bit. So, as I say, I, I, I spoke about the um, our druidic ghost, who right. is, re- I mean, he's reported by armed guards. Uh, the, I know. These are... These are, you know, men in the Royal Air Force, uh, some of the guards, and you know how I personally hold store at the U.S. Coast Guard out at um, Portsmouth. Right. Because these people, they're not normal people, but into making stuff up and then telling their, you know, their commanding officer about some weird experience. Um, but the guards nonetheless report this this figure. Now, you can't access the base and you can't explore it any further. Um, so that wasn't the thrust of my investigation today. I started today at Bomaris Jail, which fans of Most Haunted may remember from Series 9, um, which is uh, it's a jail that dates back to... Oh, uh, well, I mean, nowadays, what you've got is a a closed Victorian jail that has become a tourist attraction and a visitor centre. And it's set up exactly the same as it was, um, you know, in the Victorian era, complete with the punishments and the condemned cells. And you can see why it would be an attraction. Uh, It does also have a ghost. Uh, It has several, in fact, now, you might think that you know, the traditional ghost of a, of a prison cell would be the condemned cell and the condemned, the, because there, was, there were several dozen people hung or de, um, died within the jail. Mm-hmm. Um, but oddly enough, the ghost is of uh, young children, a young child. Oh. There are... There, there are adult ghosts as well, but the most notable is the ghost of a child. Now, interestingly, the jail has a nursery because 
people in jail were allowed to bring their children with them, or indeed, in some instances, as happened at Beaumaris, gave birth whilst in jail. Right. Because uh, that in the Victorian, it wasn't, and in the Victorian era, you could be jailed for you know, or, or, or uh, transported to the colonies for very minor misdemeanors such as stealing bread or shoplifting. I mean, you know, stuff that we should maybe consider bringing back today. Mm-hmm. And and you know what's interesting too, Steve, is that <laughs> as a Catholic, we have a a. Uh, a blessing of the throats uh, by uh, it's on Saint by Saint Blaise. It's a, a feast of Saint Blaise, and they bless the throats, and that was uh, came about because he was imprisoned, and there was a woman with a child, and the child was choking on a uh, a chicken bone or some kind of bone, and he would spelled it out of him. You know, probably did the Heineken, but uh, <laughs> and, and that's that's how it came about. But yeah, so it was very common to have uh, children in mm-hmm. jail sometimes with their mothers, and sometimes, unfortunately, not. Now today, I was talking to one of the one of the staff, one of the museum staff at the jail, and they were telling me that they themselves and many of the volunteers that work at the jail museum. Um, don't really like a particular part of the building. And I said, well, is that because they obviously, you know, they, they know the story? And she said, oh, no, it's because of what's happened to them there. Really? Each of, the, each of them has had unusual experiences where doors that haven't got locks because for health and safety reason, they, they don't lock the cell doors except for one, uh, which is a visitor attraction. But all of the other doors have the locks have been disabled so that they're incapable of being locked. Um, obviously, so that nobody can, you know, play around modern health, health and safety rules being what they are. And one of the cells, which is now an office used for administration, uh, they've had engineers out on countless occasions uh, filing and oiling and smoothing and fixing the door that keeps locking it or apparently locking itself and yeah. locking people in uh, and they've heard an audible click of the lock after the door closes and then they hear the click and when they get up thinking somebody's pranked them, they discover that they are indeed locked in and then oh, wow. a, a few minutes pass and then they might phone for assistance or return to what they were doing thinking that they're not going to play along with the prank the door will swing open of its own accord oh uh they've also heard have you ever have you ever seen a door lock like that steve i haven't uh, i mean i've seen doors uh open and close on their own with no nobody nearby but perfectly good explanations Mm -hmm. and uh one that you can you can repeat it's just down to the pressure of the air being different on I I went to uh, I did a, a radio show I think it was Next Generation we did we did that Molly Malone's in Portsmouth and, it, and one of the things that happened in that place was the woman stalls the it was it's like a bolt I don't know if you have those in the U S and the U K they're like a bolt that goes in and you, you drop it down you yeah like I'm a, back again yeah do you like right. that no a a a large forty ton truck just passed between me and the antenna I think. Oh, uh, anyways, now. all right, so I was describing a, a, an instance that occurred to me. I was at a uh, Molly Malone's in Portsmouth, and, there, and one of the things that went on there, and the woman stalled, the bolt would lock by itself. 
and uh, it, it was one of those like uh, sliding bolts, you know, it's like, a, yeah, 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 okay. So I went in there and uh, it's so many, I've been in more women's rooms since I started investigating. <laughs> but anyways, I went in the stall and I got in and I just turned around. And as I did, the bolt went and locked. I mean, I wow. got my camera up and took a quick picture, but I didn't catch it. But I caught it locked. That was it. But I saw it right before my own eyes. The thing just slide and, and drop. You know, the little thing goes in yeah. and then drops down. It was it was pretty amazing. And, uh, you know, once again, you don't have the evidence. So all you have is the, the experience, unfortunately. No, but the, a lot, you know, I, I, the staff at the jail said it. You've said it. So I, I don't doubt that people have experienced it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I've only ever experienced doors opening and closing or swinging, moving on their own. Mm-hmm. Uh, unfortunately, in every in every example bar the shipyard, I was able to find a repeatable and testable reason for it. And that was, as I was saying before the, the truck arrived, um, that you don't need very much difference of air pressure on one side of a door to the other to make it move. That's true. That's true. Even a, even a door that um, seems to, you know, when you go over and you physically push it, it seems quite solid mm-hmm. and hard to move. Even that will respond quite well to a change in air pressure. Um, I mean, just think, for example, the pressure difference um, above and below the wing of a 747 when it takes off right. is, le- is less than the pressure less than the pressure of a baby sucking at its bottle. Really? Yeah, that's the, that's the pressure differential is only, you know, several, you know, single PSI. It's only three or four PSI pressure difference, but over that large, large area. Uh, I remember one we were at, a uh, case we were at very, very briefly, we were doing a, an investigation at a funeral home. Oh, cool. Uh, complete with cadaver. Oh, lovely. Uh, and the reason we were there is because what the door between the embalming room and the administration room would swing to and fro on its own at random times. Tell Cal to get lost. Why does swing... that always happen? Dead <laughs> <laughs> phone every, is not every all day week. long. <laughs> well, it's a good time. Maybe we should go to the break. Yeah, we're just about on to the break now. We got, we got, if, if we go to the break now, you answer the phone, and I can finish the story I'm afterwards. Not gonna this damn phone. Huh? I'm not going to answer the damn phone. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, well, well, I'll finish that. I'll return to that story of the funeral parlor after the break because I realise we've only got a couple of minutes. Well, you did pretty good though with that. I mean, you you picked up on the break, and you don't, you're not even in chat or anything. So I'm. No, but I've got a wristwatch on. <laughs> <laughs> really? They have things still. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's the 21st century here in Britain now, you know. We've got, you know, we've got, like we've got some fat Grandfather clock, you have to wind up on it. <laughs> oh, we have plenty of them. Plenty right. of them. So, anyways, there's a tune, so we do have to take a break. You uh, have been listening to Ghost Chronicles International with Steve Parsons on location somewhere. McDonald's, <laughs> probably. Uh, and Ryan, not probably, home. definitely. Home, listen to the cow. We'll be right back after the following messages. Welcome to Tokinet Radio with a cutting edge. 
the need to do some soul searching or make some changes in your life to create a more positive future? Then Circles of Wisdom is just the place for you. Circles of Wisdom is a metaphysical bookstore and more, located on Route 28 in downtown Andover, Massachusetts. We carry a large selection of books and music, crystals and gemstones, jewelry and gifts, sage, aromatherapy, and so much more, all in a relaxing and welcoming atmosphere. We offer classes on a variety of topics like yoga, Reiki, psychic development, alternative healing, and personal transformation. For guidance on this journey we call life, get a reading from one of our many readers at Circles of Wisdom, 90 Main Street in downtown Andover, right next to Bertucci's. Call us at 978-474-8010 or check us out on the web at www.circlesofwisdom.com. Lots to see and do in a feel-good place, an oasis in this hectic world. Ghost Chronicles International, live from a McDonald's somewhere in North Wales on the island of Anglesey. You're listening to Ron Coley holding the fort in New England and me out in the, I was going to say the wilds. I was earlier, but I'm not now. I'm at the drive-through in Hollyhead. <laughs> so there we are. Anyway, so anyways, what we before the break? Before the break, you were telling us about the yeah, funeral parlour. so we, we were in the funeral parlour, and the reason we've been called to the funeral parlour is because the door between the embalming room, um, complete with cadaver the night we were there, or the day we were there, mm-hmm. um, and the office would swing slowly back and forth. And gradually the swings would get bigger over the course of time until the door would actually bang in its frame. Uh, slamming open, closed, and then reopening again. Now, there's no locks on this door, or anything to prevent it, you know, you couldn't hold it closed. Right. And the staff there would actually put a waste a waste bin uh, a, a, against the door to hold it, to stop it doing it at times. Uh, they said it had only begun in the fall of uh, the, that particular year, and that they, uh, somebody from another shop had claimed that it was probably a ghost, so they got in touch with us. Um, we talked to them and we asked them about the history of what had happened, when it started. And um, we realized that something they'd said um, about how it be, how it was chilly in the room. So they often had to have the color, you know, the um, camping. They had them on these portable gas fires, right. uh, color gas fire in the in the office, which they bought because it was such a cold room. Um 
and they were trying to make a deal about you know they'd seen in, in they actually said they'd seen in the movies how places are, are really cold. Um, they said that the the embalming room had to be kept deliberately cold because obviously there were cadavers in it, and you didn't want them going off too soon. Yeah. Uh, so they bought this portable wheel around gas fire, uh, which they put into the office and lit it. And then the ghost seemed to appear and start swinging the door. Now, it didn't take long for us to figure out that what you had was a warm room and a cold room next to each other. So warm air from one was going over the top of the door and displacing cold air from inside the embalming room, which was at floor level rushing back into the office, uh, creating this, this airflow, this current of air. Which, were, which was sufficient, although you couldn't feel a draft, we were able to measure it with one of our um, hot wire anemometers, which is sensitive down to you know, a very, very few number of um, centimeters per second of airflow. Um, and yeah, indeed, that was the cause of it. So when we, when we turned the fire off and the room's temperature stabilized, the door stopped swinging. So we relit the fire. And after a few minutes, uh, once the room and the air warmed up, the door started swinging, and that was the end of that one. But it, it, it was an interesting example of how it you couldn't actually feel the breeze, the air movement, and yet that was sufficient and, and undetectable, um, but sufficient to cause this fairly substantial solid wood door to swing to and fro. And eventually, you know, build up a momentum of its own. Yeah, the, the so. interesting thing is, you know, we, we talk about, uh, a lot of people talk about uh, the environment, you know, the outside environment, how it affects investigation. But a lot of times it's the inside environment, the inside weather. Oh, absolutely. To, to, absolutely. That's just a lot of the problems. Absolutely. And also, we shouldn't neglect the outside weather and having it having an influence on the inside weather. For example, sure. Sure. if the wind is blowing from, you know, onto one side of the building or the sun has been heating one side of the building all day and the other side, a north facing side has been in shadow, uh, you will end up with a, a temperature gradient throughout the building, across the building from north to south in the building. Mm-hmm. And that the as the temperature equals itself out uh, after dark, for example, uh, you will find that it will cause displacements of air and objects indeed uh, inside, inside, actually inside the building. And of course, investigators should always observe the weather because the outside weather directly affects what we're doing inside. So on a hot day, you would put air conditioners on, uh, which add humidity and change the air temperature quite considerably. Um, and on a cold day, of course, you would use heaters and um, you would you would operate the building differently. So the outside and the inside environment, you know, the local weather inside and outside play a very important part in investigations. And to be honest with you, I've noticed that many, many investigators in recent years have completely neglected the weather. It used to be quite a routine thing, even on Most Haunted, for example, that ridiculous television program everybody's so fond of criticising. They always used to, at the bottom of the screen, <laughs> they would they would always record um, a little note about the weather, whether it was sunny, windy, cloudy, what the temperature was, etc. Because 
whether it, whether information was was recognised as being something that investigators uh, would routinely document. But modern investigators, in fact, I would say in the last five years, I don't think I've encountered any group or team who pay any particular attention or give any particular note to the weather conditions. So it seems it's something that's uh, been discarded by investigators yeah, as, I, as insignificant. Yeah, it's even, even your baseline work has, has been, you know, kind of going by the side as well. Oh, yeah, yeah. Baseline, baselines, however imperfectly they used to be done, at least they were done. Exactly. At least you uh, had... Now, now they rush in, and the first thing they, they grab for is the boober, teddy, and their EVP recorder, and they completely disregard anything to do with the environment. Yeah, let's just get to um, it. Not wasting I mean, time on that. Yeah, I'm not. Yeah, exactly. That's not important. I already know the spirits are there, and they're going to. We're going to get amazing and astonishing evidence. Yeah, and yet the. The clues that they're looking for and the things that would give them the most information, the little things like the weather, like the temperature, like the wind, like the baseline measurements that ordinarily and routinely used to be done, they're not doing. And so they're not getting the help. You know, the, the, they're not giving themselves any, any advantage or assistance in understanding it because they're not really asking the right questions anymore. Uh, and hand on heart, I can honestly say I don't think in certainly in the last five years, I haven't seen a weather recording done by a paranormal group. Um, it might still go on. I've just not been aware of it. But uh, and you don't see on investigation reports when they post it on on social media, you don't see any mention of baseline readings or baseline measurements or baseline observations. Steve, when you think about it, how often do you see even the time listed? You don't. You, you exactly. again. Exactly. Um, you, you, yeah, the time is now insignificant. Uh, you see, you do see it mentioned. You know, in in um, we started off, we went into the chamber at eleven o'clock, and we came out at eleven forty-five. Mm. And some groups do occasionally record times in a loose way in their social media reports, but it's not it's not done in any um, helpful or positive way. For, no, I mean. I mean it, I, it's supposed to be one of the, the primary things. It is, absolutely. Because absolutely. how can you record something if you don't know what freaking time it is? Exactly. And also, how can you, if you haven't all set to a common standard time, whatever that might be, Right. Um, how can you say, well, that happened at the same, because you, you see in a lot of investigation reports, people saying, for example, It all well, happened we, at the same time. Yeah, we were on the ground floor and we were calling out. Meanwhile, at exactly the same moment upstairs, the chandelier fell on the medium's head and killed him. Yeah, I, I mean, sorry, sorry, that was just wishful thinking. Yeah. Um, but this idea of is it was exactly you know what you the said? same time. Just what, just what you said, you know, it, it shows the deficiency right there. It's like instead of saying at 3 a.m., this is what happened. Uh, no, exactly the same time, whatever that time was. Yeah, that's, that's, that's how it's recorded, at, at exactly the same time, whatever that, or even date. Yeah. Um, you know, modern, modern electronics like smartphones, like uh, cameras, video cameras, um, and other things, the ones with data loggers, have an inbuilt clock. And it frustrates me when I see groups posting photographs of their amazing, you know, 
orb or ghost capture. And you see the date flashing away in the bottom of the screen. It says 1-1-2000. Yeah, they haven't reset it. Because they took the batteries out, put them on charge, and never set the clock when they put it all back together again. They probably don't know how, to be honest with you. Well, honestly, <laughs> then you have to say to them, uh, well, how reliable is your uh, picture? How, how can I trust that you were even there on, you know, you've got nothing that can show me that you were actually there when you said you were there. Well, we've got video. Yeah, but that says you were there 17 years ago. But I know what time we were there. You might know, but I wasn't, and you're presenting it to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm telling me that this was last night, but the clock was saying it was in the year 2000. Well, anyway, um, I didn't want to get too much of it. But, uh, so on this island... Uh, yeah, back to the island. Back to the island. You, you, you've gone there, you, you know... What other things that happened in our, our adventures there? Well, after Beaumaris Jail, because we, I was there for about two hours talking to the staff, the boys obviously had to look around and um, um, explored. Oh, you and brought two assistants with you? I brought my two young assistants and my, my, and my, um, my, my, my team leader. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, um, yeah, so then we went to... Um, there are Anglesey is, is rich in prehistoric remains. Now here we're talking about before, long before the Druids. It has standing stones and megaliths and um, burial chambers mm-hmm. that date back three to four thousand BC. So we're dealing with five, five and six thousand year old monuments. And there's three or four of them that are very well preserved, and they have uh, spirals carved in them, like you find on the North American megaliths. Oh, really? And they have um, pockmarks, you know, the pockmark stones that they have, and swirls and other designs. Now, they're not haunted as such, but they do attract a lot of New Age visitors who use them to commune. One of them, uh, which I've, I've been visiting for... Oh, 30 years uh, fairly regularly every time I visit the island it's one of the places I, I often visit used to be um, accessible and open you could just freely walk into it and uh, explore it feel the atmosphere, the ambiance of this ancient, ancient a thousand years older than Stonehenge uh, oh, wow. but Last year, when I when I visited, and of course this year, uh, you have to now go down to the local uh, post office to collect the key and uh, give them a deposit, and you, you get the key. Um, That's a shame. The reason for that is because, and when you go up there, the reason becomes immediately apparent. It is full of these bloody little tea lights and blobs of wax and things tied on stuff and. Uh, crystals and floating new age crap all over the people have drawn in the swirls you know these 5,000 year old swirls people have daubed the fingers into into purple glitter paint and everything is every alcove and flat surface is dripping in old wax where they've been burning stupid little tea lights and votives and and there's, there's, you know, sort of uh, the end, the burnt end of incense sticks all over the place, and the, the, you know, the, the custodians are frankly absolutely sick of it. I don't blame um, them. Be honest with you. They, they unfortunately can't 
ban people from going because it's held in a trust, so mm. access has to be allowed. So they came up with this compromise about they fitted a, a steel barred gate to the front entrance, and now you hand in a deposit and your name and address and so that they can, you know, presumably find out who's been doing it. But it, it just... It, it strikes me as being very bizarre. Now, I'm not knocking the people's beliefs. No, no. Uh, and people can have whatever beliefs they like. But you should have respect. It, well, yeah. I mean, that can involve any any form of ritual that you that you wish to do, but not rituals that are defacing and defaming objects, you know, of international significance. Mm-hmm. Just because you believe that the moon is a god and God's a woman and all cuckoos should be prayed to or whatever your weird beliefs are, that doesn't, shouldn't and doesn't give you the right to go around defacing stuff with candles, incense and glitter paint. Exactly. I agree with and you. It, it, I must admit, it got my blood boiling because this is our heritage. This is, inter- it's not just Anglesey's, this is international heritage. Archaeologists and paleontologists and anthropologists from all over the world travel to study these megaliths and these monuments because they, they're trying to use them to learn something about our shared ancient past and the beliefs and the culture of the people that were there. Right. Um, in addition, this burial chamber does did contain human remains. A significant oh, amount. Oh, oh yeah. Uh, a significant amount of human remains were found... Uh, during excavations of the chambers. Um, oh. And that's how they, they were able to date them using the carbon-14 dating on the, on the bones and the uh, clay pots that the bones were stored in. Oh, it's like <laughs> football teams back again. Um, <laughs> but these people, the, a lot of these pots were buried under the clay floor of the burial chamber. Um, and Clearly, somebody has been scratching about in the clay and putting... There was bits of... Hang on, I'm going to have to move. There was... Um, yeah, go on, you rowdies. Um, there, was, there was bits of tin foil, and there was even drinks cans crushed into the floor um, of, of the burial chambers. It's disgusting. It is absolutely disgusting. And these are people who, you know what the New Ages are like. They're all love and light, and they're all hug a planet, yeah, hug a Mother trip. Earth, respect it, la, la, la. Yeah, Mother Earth, respect it, and now I'm going to throw wax all over the bloody thing. And, yeah, glitter. Yeah, it's, it's, just, it's just sickening to see. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, when I first visited, and I say I've been visiting now for over 20 years, the, the place, now I'm, I'm not, I'm a materialist, you know that. Um, I don't, Sort of do the spiritually floaty stuff very well. I, I don't. I, I, I'm quite happy for others to do it, and I'm not disrespectful of them. And I, you know, I've tried to engage and listen to their point of view and right. understand it. Um, but when you go to these places, it's a bit like going into a church or a cathedral. Um, even if you're not religious, there is a detectable ambiance about the place. There is a. And, you know, there is an air of something different about the inside of a church versus the inside of a McDonald's or, or a, you know, a, a, a garage. Unless the dealers. church has been made into a McDonald's. Well, unless the church has been made. But you know, you know the point I'm making. Yeah, um, I, I do. 
and it did used to have a very special, very relaxing. It was a place where you could go and just be quiet and just soak in the atmosphere. And as I say, I'm a materialist, but it was something I enjoyed doing. Mm-hmm. It was somewhere that was obviously special. I couldn't feel the ghosts. I couldn't feel the history. I didn't feel uplifted. I wasn't spiritually healed by being there. But it was a very enjoyable experience that when I visited today was utterly, utterly gone because of these New Age wackos and their silly ideas about the way that they should celebrate and commemorate their nonsense yeah, to, the de- to the detriment of anything and everything else. Mm-hmm. Now, you know what's intriguing? Although is- I did encounter, also encounter a vegetarian, fi- a vegan fish fingers today, which was novel. A what? <laughs> well, <laughs> well, do you have fish fingers in America? Yeah, fish sticks. Yeah, uh, in bread, fish uh, steaks in breadcrumbs, fried, and then you, yeah, yeah fish fingers, yeah. we call them. Any, yeah, I encountered a vegan version of that today. What the hell's that all about? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you take everything that's holy about a fish finger or a fish stick and make it vegan. <laughs> yeah. Well, they do that to hamburgers, and, and they have. Uh, do you know, to, yeah, to, but do you know what they? Yeah. Do you know what they use for the fish, the fillet, uh, the cod? Do fillet, I really want to know? Are you ready for it? Yeah, go ahead. Banana leaves. Uh, that are bleached white, so they look like fish, like, you know, look, look sort of white nice. and slimy. And then they have e- uh, organic essence of fish. <laughs> <laughs> fish, for, no, fish smell. Yeah. <laughs> and then they're, they're dipped cool. in, yeah, then they're dipped in breadcrumbs and fried. You know, I'm just like, here's an organic fit of vegan fish thing. Oh, come on, please. Now, I, I, <laughs> uh, coming off of that, you mentioned the bananas. I, I don't know if you're aware of this, but there's, there's a, a lot of talk now that bananas may go extinct. Uh, really? Yes, they're under, they're under a lot of, uh, of uh, duress and, and hardship uh, right now from insects, from weather, and a lot of things. Is, uh, yeah, I've heard several reports on that that, uh, that bananas may eventually be going stink, which would be wow. sad. I know. I, have to, we'll have to start using plantains instead. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> on, on new ages. <laughs> yeah, or we could just use fish fingers. Yeah, we use new age people. <laughs> so you're great. It, you know, it, you see the same. You see much the same in the paranormal community, where people insist on imposing their ideas on others. You know, that that's a ghost and that's not a ghost, or I, you know, we've done it this way, or or worse, we go along and we've cleansed it and we've rid, you know, we've we've set the ghost free. Um, because, as you know, that's all ghosts ever want to do is be yeah, set they just free. Yeah, they go somewhere, yeah, be free. Yeah, I mean, you know, any, any light bulb or light fitting will do. Um, you know, you just order them to go towards the light. Yeah. Um, you know. They're absolutely stuffed if it's a chandelier or you've got one of these ceilings with these multiple uh, light fittings on it. Yeah, one of those disco balls would be really confusing. You're just gonna, yeah, you're just going to go to the light, but which one? Yeah. I've been here, you know, I've, I've been here for, for for eternity uh, because I can't find out which light it is. But, I, remember, I remember I did an investigation and we went in and, and we got some readings and stuff and it was, you know, to be honest, we didn't find a hell of a lot. But uh, then we talked to the uh, the people afterwards. They said, "Oh, we had a medium came in, 
and she found, uh, you know, about six or seven people and 400 revolutionary soldiers, and she sent them all to the light. So everything's good now. Well, that was nice of her. 400. 400. Well, I couldn't, and I couldn't even pick up a picture of one of them. What the hell? Do, do, do you know what? Um, what? What completely floored me. Do you remember a couple of weeks ago we had Howard from Pembroke Castle on the show? Yes, you did. Now, obviously, we had a guest on the show. I'm not going to. I'm not going to um, say anything. Um, but I, when I moved to West Wales eleven years ago, mm-hmm. um, one of the first places I went to because it, it had a ghost. It had a ghost. A ghost story was Pembroke Castle. Um, with its one solitary ghost. Now, as you heard Howard say, what did he say? Seventy, seventy or eighty? Yeah. Now, Taurus. that's a lot. Of, that's a lot of ghosts. Taurus, you know. Um, or a lot of misunderstandings. Yeah, a lot of those tourists, you know. I think I, I think we I may have misunderstood what Howard said. Um, maybe he was saying there were seventy reports rather than no, seventy individual no, ghosts. I, I pretty much figured that he said what he said. No, I did because it was a direct question, wasn't it? How many ghosts are at the castle? Yeah, because he started mentioning some of them, and there was quite a few. Mm. But you know, I, I find this all very how we 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 accept so readily. Um, Something that's strange or difficult, like the door swinging or mm-hmm. somebody's unusual experience, and we just blindly accept, without question, that it was paranormal. Oh, I have to tell you what a funny story, Steve, is uh, my next-door neighbors, uh, they're Spanish, but uh, we were talking about ghosts and stuff, and, and uh, I, I let Jan lent them one of her book, the first book, Ghost Chronicles, right? So they sat down to read it that evening, and while they were reading it, there was her glass on the floor shattered into three <laughs> Now she's scared shitless. She won't read the book. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, you've got an easy investigation to do there. Just across the way. You won't need to, you won't need to pack the car for that one. No, I wouldn't either. But, I mean, it, it's strange things that do happen. And, and it, you know, in honesty... You look at it and you say, wow, that's really peculiar, you know. It, but strange things do happen. And I you know, don't always I know, have but, to have a paranormal explanation. But why, yeah, and, and why do you have to be scared of it? I mean, the glass broke, you know. Yeah. You know it's not like you got torn to shreds or something or, or a bite taken out of you. <laughs> it, well, we, ha- we, had a, we had a case well, over 10 years ago now where it was in a, a pub. And um, again, it, it was a glass or glasses kept smashing. They they would just shatter on the bar with no with no apparent reason to them. And uh, the, the landlord of the pub called us in, and we spent several nights there. And it was actually on the that fourth was a good fifth, investigation. Well, it was on the fourth or fifth occasion that we 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 solved the mystery of the glasses that, that self detonated. Because yes. they exploded quite violently, oh, wow. and they'd been caught by the pub's uh, security cameras. Oh, that's pretty cool. And it was all uh, down to um, a member of staff. He said, "Oh, well, you'll have to be here when Jean, the barmaid's on, because it usually happens when she's here." Mm-hmm. So on the, I think it was a Thursday night. We went along on We're the night when she's now. 
Well, she she'd had several days off. Um, it, well, it, that that was mentioned. Is she a poltergeist focus? Yeah. No, what it was, um, what she would do um, when she was making, uh, when she wanted I mean, a particular kind of drink, um, like a, an Irish coffee, mm-hmm. uh, and she would reheat it in the microwave. So the drink was first of all put into the microwave for about thirty seconds to yeah. make. And then she would, at the last minute, throw a couple of ice cubes in. Yeah. Well, of course, the thermal shock of doing that on a, a glass that's probably, you know, that's... So we, we, we got her to do, make a couple of... And th- the third one she did, the glass exploded. Ah. So what we had her do was not microwave the glass, uh, but just add the ice. Uh-huh. And it never happened again. Oh, uh, so, so strange things do happen, but it was this idea that, oh, it's the ghost that does it. And once that idea becomes fixed, with like with your neighbours, something unusual happens because they're reading Ghost Chronicles. Mm-hmm. They don't, they don't say, oh, look, the glass shattered because it had, you know, a thermal weakness or it was just weak. Something cast. unusual is happening right now. We've run out of time. <laughs> Well, there you so go. we've got to wrap it up. The twos are playing, and we've got to say goodnight. Well, I, so, I'm going for a big mac and flies. Big mac and flies. Okay. Say hello to uh, your two little assistants and, and your will. team leader. And, I will. And uh, I'll uh, talk to I'll, you next week from uh, West Wales again. There you go. So from uh, the haunted McDonald's. <laughs> there you go. Good night and God bless. See you next week. to ghosties, long-leggedy beasties, and things that go bump in the night. Deliver us, good Lord.